It is truly a blessing to have each of you and to be able to celebrate this Lord's Day and specifically uh, this, uh, this Easter. Thank you for coming and making this a part of your uh, Easter celebration. Today's Easter service is especially uh, appreciated because last year we were unable to meet together. It was the weirdest thing in the world for me to wake up on Easter morning and we were not able to come together as a church. I will admit that a small group of us did gather very early in the morning last year for a sunrise service in spite of the COVID-19 restrictions. And of course, there were online options for people, so some of y'all saw that, but it was very, very different for us. And it is so good just to be back together in the house of the Lord. Of course, the church was not alone during that time of shutdown. Uh, in dealing with the impacts of that lockdown, many of us were stuck in our homes for weeks and even months as we tried to avoid infection. That can be a very lonely place. And in the loneliness of the lockdown, the best and the worst of us can be revealed. And unfortunately, it was. Certainly, there were many lessons for us. A lesson that I learned was that I needed fellowship. I missed people. Sure, I had my family and I saw the staff almost as much as I do now, but I missed being with the church. I also learned that there are other things that I really didn't need as much as I thought I did. And during the time of shutdown, it was revealed. For example, as much as I love sports, it can be very, very entertaining, but the reality is I didn't really need it. In fact, we went without most of the sports that we typically would have had for much of the year. On a positive note, there were many families that received an opportunity to be together. We had become so busy in our day-to-day -day lives that many of us had been neglecting the very people that we should have been more intently loving. As a pastor, I thought it was really cool for me to be able to sit with my family for a church service. Sure, it was a little odd because I was watching myself on the TV, but it was still pretty nice just being able to be with my family. And then, of course, you had the, the negative side of the lockdown. For some, being together merely served to exacerbate problems that had already been swept under the carpet for many years. People who didn't always get along with each other suddenly had to live in the same household 24-7 and they began to fight even more. I read recently that during the summer and early fall that there was a large uptick in people filing for divorce, and I don't think that surprised many. Certainly, it was very heartbreaking for many. By the way, speaking of divorce, it is such a blessing to have y'all sitting here on the front row, not because of divorce, let me make that clear. I want y'all to be the exception to everybody else's rule. 53% of all marriages end in divorce today. Y'all do not have to be one of them. And as long as Jesus Christ is the center of everything y'all do, you will not be one of them. And it is such a blessing to be able to, how many people show up to church on the Sunday after they get married? What a blessing to have y'all here with us this morning. Um, let me suggest to you today that Jesus sees all of the peripheral stuff that goes on within humanity. He sees the brokenness, especially over this last year, and the immorality all around us. No doubt when Jesus came to earth, 
He was already aware that many generations of sinners would reject his love and his grace. And certainly he saw what was being accomplished through his time on earth, his crucifixion and resurrection. But he also never lost sight of the people that he came to redeem. The story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection begins long before John chapter 19, although today we're going to be looking in the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the crucifixion story this morning. should be noted that the story of the crucifixion and resurrection is presented in all four of the Gospels, with each highlighting different aspects of the story. But again, today I want us to look in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, but we'll start in chapter 17. Look at, actually, I'm sorry, in verse 17, chapter 19, verse 17, it says this, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. And it's giving down to verse 25 for a moment. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. But the sponge put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, history teaches us that crucifixions were incredibly graphic and painful. It was a public display typically reserved for the worst of criminals. In fact, I don't think I need to go into great detail about the amount of abuse that it would have entailed. It's worth recognizing, though, that even before Jesus carries his cross through the streets of Jerusalem, he had already endured incredible abuse at the hands of the Roman soldiers. We know that he had been beaten, that a crown of thorns had been placed upon his head, and he had been publicly stripped of his garments. It is said that often the frenzy of abuse associated with the crucifixion would contagiously spread from the soldiers to the watching crowd as people would mock and even spit upon the criminal. I noted this past week on a Facebook post, I think it was on Thursday, I was reading this week in the book of Mark chapter 14, where it said that one of the soldiers, one of the, the temple guard, when Jesus began to speak in the temple, that the temple guard reached out and slapped Jesus across the face. And I wouldn't even think about slapping my mom, much less Jesus. But that's the kind of abuse that Jesus would willingly endure. Understand that at any point, Jesus could have stopped the abuse that would take place over that basically 12-hour period of time. At any point, Jesus could have stopped those who held whips. He could have caused the crown of thorns to literally fall apart. He 
It could have caused the nails that were driven into his hand to become like water. But Jesus willingly allowed all of that abuse to take place. Such abuse would often lead to a furious back and forth exchange between the criminal and the crowd, with the criminals cursing anyone who would listen. There is no sense of bitterness toward the crowd on this occasion. In fact, according to Luke's gospel, he does just the opposite. He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And then here in this passage, we see that even as he is being abused, his heart is fixed on others. He literally looks to his disciple and hands off the responsibility of caring for his mother. Again, he could see the bigger picture. He knew that through his crucifixion, a payment was being made for all of humanity. A bridge made that would allow all people to experience eternal life. Yet he's very much aware of the personal needs of those nearby. He's not just looking at himself. He's not just looking at the big picture. He sees someone in need and he cares for them. And then in verse 30, we read his final words. It is finished. This declaration was clearly a reference to the big picture. He knew what he'd come to earth to accomplish and it was being accomplished. I said it this morning in our sunrise service. Jesus used those words, it is finished. And the assumption is that's the end of the story. But it was not. The reality is that story would continue. And three days later, and that's why we do this today, on Sunday morning, Jesus Christ would rise from the grave. He would experience the resurrection. But you know what? That's not even the end of the story. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would all receive a call and the opportunity to go out and to proclaim the good news. And they would go out, but you know what? That's not the end of the story either. In fact, now you are a part of that story. Where does the story eventually end? It's not even with you. <laughs> there is coming a day that Jesus Christ will return. And on that day, he will be able to declare, it is finished. Not just the saving work of him being on the cross, paying the price for our sin, but everything. Sin will no longer be an issue. We will never have to suffer again. Death will never take place. We will no longer have to fear. For everything will be made new. He says it is finished. The rest of the story is a beautiful story. According to John 20, it's Mary Magdalene who initially goes to the tomb early on that Sunday morning. In despair, she runs to get the other disciples, but according to verse 9, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. We're talking about it in John chapter 20. Then in John 20, verse 11, they returned to their homes. And we read that Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head 
and the other at the feet. They asked her, woman, lady, hey, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, and I picture her, all of a sudden he had a really tender voice. Why are you crying? What is it that you are looking for? I'm thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. There was no thought that the resurrection could have taken place. The idea was that somebody had to steal his body. There was no other option. They saw the abuse he had taken. They saw the death. They saw even the burial that had taken place. Where have you hidden him? Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Suddenly it clicked. She knew who she was dealing with. It doesn't tell us exactly what she did, but Jesus' instruction gives us a pretty good idea. She reached out and she wrapped her arms around him because here he was, the resurrected Messiah. Look what Jesus said, do not hold on to me. You don't say that unless she's holding on to you. For I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. It should be noted that Jesus came to Mary Magdalene in her time of greatest grief and sorrow. Again, he had a big picture job to do, but he still saw beyond the task to the broken individual. I don't know what your brokenness looks like today. I know you're here for Easter Sunday Man, it's a great day. We're excited because we get people getting married. We got people being baptized. We got people becoming members. Man, this is a great day. But the reality is many of us still come in brokenness. There's a sense of heaviness as we've been through a lot over the last year. Some of us have experienced death, sickness. Some of us continue to deal with some of that. Some of us have lost jobs. I want you to know whatever your brokenness looks like, Jesus still sees the big picture and he cares very much for the individual. It's no wonder why she didn't recognize him right away. Remember that she had seen him suffer and die just a few days earlier. And then he gives her some instructions. Go tell everybody else, I am alive. And even in this declaration, he invites them to call his father, their father, his God, their God. What he is doing is he is establishing common ground among the very people who would serve him. We celebrate the fact that when we surrender our lives to Christ, we become joint heirs. We talked about it as a part of the baptism this morning. We are immediately welcomed into the family of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're not on the outside looking in, but rather we have become a part of the family. And Jesus tells her, go tell all of them that I am going to my Father 
your father. I'm going to my God, your God. So today, Jesus still calls us his brothers and sisters. And he still invites us to call his father, our father. You know, I'm not going to read the rest of the story to you right now, but I do want you to realize that John's telling of the first Easter evening has a beauty that lingers down through the centuries, especially as it reveals what it's like for us to be in the presence of the living Christ. Those who have watched me on Facebook this week, I've talked about lingering just a little bit. You remember when Mary took the bottle of perfume and she anointed Jesus washing his feet with that perfume. Do you remember what she wiped the perfume with onto his feet? She actually used her own hair. It's a beautiful event, and I'm certain that she was honored to be able to do that. There were those who complained because that was expensive perfume. If, if she would have sold that, we could have taken that money and fed all kinds of people. Jesus doesn't rebuke her at all. It's a beautiful event. She is anointing the king himself. You know, after that event was over, that would have lingered with her for a long time. Not just the memory of it, the scent of the perfume that she used her hair to wipe onto his feet. That scent would have lingered for a long time, probably days. After a while, maybe she wouldn't notice it, but anytime she walked into the room, someone else would smell the perfume and they would recognize something has happened. And then yesterday, some people will refer to it as Black Saturday. It is the day where basically the whole world thought Jesus' story was over. And what lingered that day was not something beautiful, but rather something very dark. You know, darkness can linger. We experience difficulty and it just kind of hangs on to us. And we almost reach the point where we can no longer expect to see light anymore. You've been in darkness for so long that it just feels like that's the way it's always going to be. Imagine you've just watched the most beautiful, most loving and caring individual to have ever existed. You've watched him die. He was your friend. He was the one who cared for you. Maybe he was the one who healed you. As you went to bed that night, you would have been filled with a darkness that was very dark. As you wake up Saturday morning, yeah, I know the sun rose, but it was still just as dark. Because it wasn't about the light in the room. It was about the fact that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, was dead. You know, the, the beauty of the night and the darkness is that eventually the sun will rise again. And as dark as it must have seemed on Saturday, imagine how much they appreciated the sunrise on Sunday. When Jesus Christ rose from the tomb, sorrow can linger. And I picture that on this particular weekend, sorrow lingered for a long time. It felt like forever. 
the beauty of this is knowing that knowing that the sun did rise again. I remember a couple Christmases back as we drove through the mountains of Tennessee, months after a massive forest fire, we could smell the charred remains of the fire. It lingered. What lingers in your life? Is it a smell? Is it sorrow? The fact is, there is much that lingers, but our hope is not found in it's not found in the things that have happened. It's in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Back to our original passage, I want you to see two things with regard to the story of Christ lingering with us. First, we see in verses 19 and 21 that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the light of the world, brings his peace to our troubled and fearful hearts. He repeatedly says, peace be with you. This was more than a standard greeting of their culture. This was a declaration that although you have endured much, some of the most tumultuous days of your life, I bring you peace. You know, peace is something that our world has been seeking for generations. It seems that there has always been some kind of conflict, whether it be an internal conflict or an external one. I'm reminded of the traditional Hebrew prayer which says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Maybe today you find yourself in need of his peace. I want you to know that it is available to each of us. Maybe you need his peace to linger in your life not just for the rest of this service, but in the midst of great turmoil that is going on around you. The second thing that we see is that Jesus confirms that this wasn't just some charade. It wasn't some trick. He invites them to witness for themselves that this is not some parlor trick. See my hands? See my feet? See my side? He reveals that in the resurrection, Jesus is made whole, but he apparently maintains the scars from his crucifixion. It was as if our sins were engraved there for all of eternity, perhaps as a reminder to us that our salvation is only possible because of what he has done. I imagine that the image of their beloved Savior with his skin pierced and bloodied would have lingered for them for the rest of their lives. They couldn't get it out of their minds. And realizing that he had voluntarily endured such suffering as a payment for their own sins would have made this very personal. You know, one of the downsides with a story that happened 2,000 years ago, is sometimes we can almost forget that this was a real event that took place. This isn't some story from a book. This isn't some inspirational thing, but rather this was the moment in history where a perfect God chose to go into an imperfect world to become the sacrifice to redeem that imperfect world. But in order to do so, he had to suffer greatly. I imagine what these disciples saw would have lingered very much with them. 
their beloved Savior abused. He, he shows them his hands and his feet and his side. Do they see the bloody marks on his back from the whips? Do they see where he had cuts on his head from the crown of thorns being placed on top of him? Only when we experience his great peace and only when we realize that we are totally dependent on him for our salvation are we then able to respond to God's call. In verse 21, Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In this statement, we are brought into an awesome relationship where we now become his ambassadors to the world around us. And by the way, this is not only intended for this generation. In fact, consider the fact that the disciples were not emboldened or even encouraged by the empty tomb. They went to the tomb. They wanted to see if what they had heard was true. The ladies came back, were told that Peter and John both raced each other to the tomb. John makes a point that the disciple whom Jesus loved beat everybody else. By the way, that would be John. He's talking about himself. He wanted everybody to know, I, I think he was kind of getting a dig in at Peter here. I beat Peter to the tomb. He said, John stayed outside. Peter went inside. And then they both did. The point was, they all went to the tomb. But after their tomb experience, they went home. Still not knowing exactly what to do. It wasn't the empty tomb that gave them courage. It was the word brought to them by others that Jesus was, in fact, resurrected. Of course, this would later be confirmed by Jesus' appearing in front of them, but it would also be confirmed by multiple other individuals. And this is a beautiful thought for us. Just as Christ sent Mary Magdalene, just as Christ sent the disciples, he is still sending us to bring hope and peace to a desperate, dying world. As a youth pastor, I often had kids who were limited in their physical abilities. They often wanted to still participate and do all of the things that everybody else was doing. One such example was with a kid who struggled significantly with asthma. He would push and he would push until he started to turn blue to the point that you thought he was going to pass out unable to catch his breath. Quickly, he'd reach in his pocket and he'd pull out his inhaler and he'd take a puff of it. And almost immediately, he would go back into the game at 110 miles per hour, trying to give everything he had. In the disciples' case, they already had all that they needed. They had all the truth that they needed. They knew what Jesus had taught. They knew what he had done through the cross and the resurrection. They just needed a puff from the inhaler. They needed a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You see, although we celebrate the resurrection day today, we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty and that now Jesus has not only conquered sin on the cross, but he has conquered death by rising from the dead. But it would be shortly thereafter that the disciples would gather together in an open room 
And as they gathered, the Holy Spirit showed up and he did incredible things. People began to speak and as they spoke, it would be as if I were speaking English and none of you spoke English. You had some who spoke French and Spanish and Chinese and Arabic and all of these different languages. And as I spoke, you understood clearly in your own language. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that was speaking. And to be completely honest with you, I'm not even sure that it mattered what Peter and the other disciples said that day. What mattered was the Spirit of God was translating and turning it into the most beautiful message ever. I want you to be encouraged today. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit extended to you. All those who have become children of God, the Spirit of God desires to dwell in you. And as the Spirit of God dwells in you, he empowers you to go out and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. You have a great calling. Will you respond? You have a great image. You, as his children, sons and daughters of the Most High God, go out and tell them who your daddy is. You have the greatest father anyone could ever ask for. Your neighbors, your family members, it'd be great if they knew that your father as well. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, this is all about the resurrection today. It is all about what you have done by sending your son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice, but not letting the story end there. But we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the fact that the story, I know Jesus said it is finished, but there was so much more left to the story. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that is now extended to those who would call themselves Christians. Thank you that the story goes on in us. I pray that you would allow it to continue. Father, if there be one here today that does not know your peace, Right now, they're going through difficult days. This year has been crazy, and not in a good way. Father, I pray right now that in the midst of all of the brokenness, that we would know your peace that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that each of us would know the hope that is given, that even this life is not the end. It is not yet finished, but there is coming a day that our Savior will return for us. If there be one here today that is not ready for that return, Lord, I pray right now that you would cause them to recognize the need to repent. I pray that you would cause them to come before you, confessing their sin and choosing from this moment forward to walk as those who are redeemed, so that when that day comes, they will not have to fear, but rather they will be able to rejoice over the salvation you have granted. With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, if you would say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm ready to meet the Lord. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand right where you're at. You don't have to stand up or anything. I just, I want to be able to pray specifically for you this morning. Thank you. Father, I pray for the one hand that I just saw and if any others were being raised.
Lord, I pray that you would become so real to them today that they would recognize that and there is hope and there is peace and it is found in you and you alone. I pray for the forgiveness of sins right now. I pray that you would I pray that you would transform everything about us. May we never be identified, may we never be trapped by the sin that once entangled us. Lord, I pray today that you would fill us with your spirit. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our greatest hope, our greatest peace is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It truly is a blessing to have you as a part of our Easter celebration. I will tell you this, uh, as a part of the COVID stuff, we stopped passing an offering plate. And the reason we do that is just to limit the amount of physical contact people have with common surfaces. So what we do instead is instead of passing the offering plate, as you leave, there will be people at the doors and we invite you, if you came expecting to be able to give, we give you that opportunity still. It's an act of worship. It's a beautiful act of worship to be able to give back a portion of what God has given us. Uh, as you leave today, you'll have that opportunity. Know that it is such a blessing to have you with us. And you are obviously welcome anytime. We're glad you're here for Easter Sunday. We'll do this again next week. Come back and join us. Hopefully we'll do some more baptism. Who, who knows? So thank you for being with us. Go in peace.